We are continuing the ministry series on the book of Genesis. And last week, uh, Carrie gave a review of all of last year, which was hard to do in 20 minutes, but praise the Lord. But tonight, we're going to pick up with Genesis 28, and we will continue step-by-step through the rest of Genesis this semester and finish Genesis uh, this semester. And uh, I will try to speak loudly so that you in the back row can hear. Uh, This is not uh, an amplification here on my shirt, so I need to speak loud for that reason. But also, I need to speak loudly so you can hear what I can say uh, about this dream in Genesis 28. Because this may very well be the most crucial point in the entire book of Genesis. In fact, in the entire revelation of God, the dream that Jacob had is tremendous. Uh, And uh, what it does is it unveils to us God's heart, his heart's desire. You know, the principle of a dream is that uh, something impossible happens to you. Have you ever had a dream like that? Most dreams are like that. I had a dream one time that I was being chased by something and I fell off of a cliff. And I just kept falling and falling and falling. And then when I hit the bottom, I just got up and dusted myself off and went on. That's impossible. But it can happen in dreams, right? One time I dreamed that uh, when I was your age, I had this dream that I would be the President of the United States of America. Anybody ever had that dream? (laughs) It's impossible. (laughs) Well, listen, uh, what's impossible with man, you have to realize that all things are possible with God. And God came to this man, Jacob, here in Genesis 28 uh, and revealed this dream to to Jacob. Uh, Jacob was running away from home. If you know the story, he had, uh, actually from his very birth, he, he was a supplanter. He was a trickster. He was a conniving person, scheming all the time to gain stuff from for himself. And eventually... Right before this episode here, he cheated his brother out of the birthright. And he even uh, tricked his father to blessing him instead of his brother. Um, And so eventually his mother told him, you better run away (laughs) because your brother wants to kill you. You better run away to a distant land where where my brother is, my uh, your uncle. And go to him and spend some time with him for a while until your brother has a chance to cool down. Uh, So this is where we pick up in Genesis 28. Jacob Jacob is running away. He's fleeing uh, to a distant land. He's on this journey. And uh, the night time is is falling. And he finds a place where he can uh, lay down to rest for the night. Uh, And I think it would be good if we read through these verses all together, just so you all can be on the same page and have the context. So how about we have the guys read verse 10, the girls on verse 11, and we'll just alternate through verse 22. Okay? Go.
Okay, very good. Um, As I mentioned, Jacob was running away from home. And, uh, you know, just like way back in the first two chapters of Genesis, when God made Adam in in his image, in the image of God, in the likeness of God, and then he looked at Adam and he said, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a counterpart for him. Uh, you know, we'll suppose... Okay, stand up a second. You're, you're a man in the image and likeness of God. Look at, look at this guy. He has the image and likeness of God, and God is looking at him and saying, it's not good for this man to be alone. It's like he was looking in a mirror at himself. Right? Adam was... The mere image of God, the image and likeness of God. So when God was saying it's not good for this man to be alone, really God is saying it's not good for me to be alone. It's not it, God was alone in the universe. Thanks, Will. God was peerless. He had no one, no counterpart. But he desired a counterpart. Uh, well, in the same way, God comes in Genesis 28. To a homeless man. And he gives this dream to Jacob, which eventually got recorded as the Holy Scriptures. We have to realize this is God's dream. God is a homeless God. Could you believe that the God of the universe, the God who created everything, has a need? He has a need. God needs a home. He needs a house. He needs a dwelling place. And if you turn over to the outline, this is the first point on the outline. God needs a dwelling place, a house. How about we all read Isaiah 66, 1 and 2 together? Thus says Jehovah, heaven is my throne and the earth is a footstool for my feet. Where then is the house that you will build for me? And where is the place of my rest? For all these things my hand has made. And so all these things have come into being, declares Jehovah. But to this man will I look, to him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. Do you see what's in God? The heavens are his throne. 
He doesn't dwell in the heavens. That's just where his throne is. Where he carries out his administration of the entire universe. The earth is his footstool. But he says, where is the place of my rest? Right? Where is the house that you will build for me? And then right away, he looks at a man. He says, to this man I will look. I'm looking for a resting place, for a house. Where is it? I'm looking at this man who has a poor and contrite spirit, unloaded, ready to receive me, uh, who trembles at my word. You see the picture here? Man, us, (laughs) human beings, made in the image and likeness of God, uh, is where he's looking to produce his dwelling place, his house. Then we go on to Roman numeral 2, and it says the material for God's house is stone. How about that? (laughs) The material for God's house is stone. But you'll see in a moment, we're not talking about going to Home Depot to get some stone. The first point says Christ is stone. (laughs) Do you know that Christ is stone? (laughs) That's quite a thought. In Acts 4, it says, Let it be known to you all. And to all the people of Israel, that in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, and whom God has raised from the dead, in this name, this man stands before you in good health. This is the stone. See, this man was healed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This Lord Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, he is the stone. The stone which was considered as nothing by you. You Jews, you Pharisees, you crucified him. You considered him as nothing, but he's the stone. Which has become the head of the corner. That means he became the cornerstone for God's house. The cornerstone for God's building. And there's other verses. We just didn't have space to put all the verses on here to... To see what kind of a stone this Christ is. He's not only the cornerstone, he's the foundation stone. He's also the top stone. He's every stone for the building of God's house. Christ is the material as a stone for God's house. But then it goes on, it says in B, the believers in Christ are becoming stones. I found this verse in Deuteronomy 32:18. It says, "You have neglected the rock who begot you." Do you know you've been begotten of a rock? Uh, Will, let me ask you a question. If you were begotten of a cow, what would you be? A cow. If you were begotten of a dog, what would you be? Dog. Right, a dog is begotten of a dog. A cow is begotten of a dog, of a cow. Uh, but here, Moses says, you have neglected the rock who begot you. If you've been begotten of a rock, Chris, what are you? You're a, you're a rock. You're good for God's building. You're good for being built up into God's house. That's what you are. 
When we receive Christ, we have to realize we got the stone nature imparted into us. We were begotten by a stone, and uh, His nature is within us, and He's transforming us from clay into stone. You see the first verse here, Second uh, Corinthians 4, 7. It says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We're just an earthen vessel. Actually, the, uh, the New International Version says jars, jars of clay. You're just a jar of clay. Clay is very fragile. Uh, it's not strong. It's not good for building. But stone is good for building. And God's house is built with stone. Christ is stone. And the believers in Christ are becoming stones for the building of God's house. So that means we need to be transformed. How can something natural uh, like clay become stone? It has to go through a transformation process. Those of you who study geology, uh, you know, precious stones like, like diamonds and rubies and so forth. These are called metamorphic rocks. And uh, that's because they've gone through a transformation. This next verse from 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, We all with unveiled face, beholding and reflecting like a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. We are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even as from the Lord's Spirit. The previous verse says, now the Lord is the Spirit. Well, the Lord who is the Spirit is in us, believers, changing us, transforming us. The Greek word here for transform is the word for metamorphosis. We're being changed, transformed from clay, from worthless material, not good for building, to stone for God's building. Praise the Lord for this transformation process. Something natural like a piece of wood, it falls into the mud and it gets buried in the mud and under intense pressure and weight and heat and so forth, eventually, thousands of years later, they dig it up and it's not wood anymore, it's stone. It's petrified wood, right? It's stone. It's become stone, it's been transformed. There's been a kind of a, a change, a metamorphosis. Well, this is what's happening to the believers, the ones who have believed into Christ and have received the life and nature of the stone who is Christ. Amen. Well, in John chapter 1, verse 42, Simon is brought to the Lord Jesus, and Jesus says to him, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, or in some translations it says Peter. Which, is tra- which translated means a stone. Did you realize that? That the Lord changed Peter's name from Simon to Peter, which means stone. Foretelling of what was going to happen to this young man. You know what, Simon? One day after my death and resurrection, I'm going to breathe the spirit of life into you. And you're going to be transformed and you're going to become a stone good for the house of God. Um, <clears throat> let's skip down to 1 Peter 2. How about we read this verse here? Go ahead. Coming to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but with God, chosen and precious. 
you yourselves also as living stones. Well, surely, you know, Peter wrote this years later, but surely he, he remembered how way back when he first met the Lord, the Lord changed his name from Simon to Stone. And so he says, coming to him, a living stone. Christ is a living stone. But when we come to him, we ourselves also as living stones, right? We need to come to the Lord. We need to come to him again and again and again. Uh, I wrote this verse down. It's not on your sheet. Isaiah 64, 7. It says, There is no one who calls upon your name who stirs himself up to lay hold of you. When we call on the name of the Lord, we are stirring ourselves up to lay hold of Him. When you call on Him, you get Him. He dispenses Himself into you more and more. And there's more and more transformation going on. This is so practical. As Christians, we could be a group of people calling upon the name of the Lord in our daily life, laying hold of Christ, the stone, the living stone, that we could become living stones. We could be those in the process of being transformed by the life and nature of Christ. And uh, <clears throat> the next verse, John 1, 49 and 51, to 51. Now this verse here, it ties, ties us back into Jacob's dream. If you remember, Jacob saw a ladder that stretched uh, from the earth to the heavens, right? And there were angels ascending and descending on this ladder. Well, here, at the end of John 1, Nathanael answered the Lord, and he said, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said to him, Is it because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree that you believe? You shall see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you shall see heaven opened. And the angels of God ascending and descending, not on a ladder, but on the Son of Man. You know, it's one thing that Jesus is the Son of God. But if he was only the Son of God, he's still way up there in the heavens. Uh, We're still, we are still alienated from him. But he became a man, right? He came down and connected. He, He bridged the heavens and the earth. So now we're no longer alienated from God, uh, but we have access, right? We have access through Christ Jesus, the man who is the ladder. And these angels signify the traffic between the heavens and the earth. There's a lot of traffic now because of this wonderful, glorious ladder. And as we contact him, as we come to him in our daily life, We come to Him in prayer. We come to Him calling on His name. We come to Him in His Word. We come to Him when we're gathered together to fellowship. As we come to Him, to this ladder, we get joined to the heavens and we get the divine dispensing. We get God. We get the traffic from the heavens to the earth. And this is resulting in our transformation. Um, If you remember from... What, what Jacob's response was after he had this dream, he woke up and he took that stone that was his pillow. He laid his head on that stone during the night 
And that's when he had the dream. And when he woke up, he turned that stone upright as a pillar and he poured oil on it. And the oil <clears throat> signifies the spirit. And you can see that in Luke 4:18. It says the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Anointing uh, was done with oil. They anointed the the priests with oil. They anointed the tabernacle with oil. But here in this verse the Lord made the connection between the anointing and the spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me. So when Jacob poured oil on this stone, it signifies that the Spirit was poured out upon this stone. You know, when we first received Christ, uh, we were released from our sins, we were brought into rest, we received Jesus as our comforter. Um, But the direction was me, my satisfaction, my rest, my comfort. Thank you, Jesus, for releasing me. Hallelujah. (laughs) Uh, But at a certain point in our life, we need to see what satisfies God. What does he need? He needs a house, right? He needs a dwelling place. And once we see what he needs, we would have a radical turn. A radical turn in our whole being, in our whole direction to pursue not only Christ, but also the church. The building up of the church. In Matthew Matthew 16, uh, the Lord came to his disciples and he said, Who do men say that I am? And Peter piped up uh, immediately. He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in the heavens. Praise the Lord God the Father revealed Christ to us. We received him. We're enjoying him. We found rest and satisfaction. Christ, has be- the stone has become our pillow. <clears throat> but then... The Lord turned to Peter and he said, You are Peter, and on this rock, on this revelation that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. The Father shows us Christ, and we receive him, and we're satisfied. But the Lord wants to show us the church. He wants to show us the house of the living God. You know, in 1 Timothy, it says the church is the house of the living God, the pillar and base of the truth. Christ in us reveals the church to us. Without his revealing, we could never see it. But praise the Lord. We're coming to him. We're contacting him. And little by little, he's revealing God has a need. God needs a house. God needs a dwelling place. God created you in his image and likeness so he could come in and move into your heart and spread out in all your being and build you together with the other stones. See, this is the next point. The material 
needs to be built up. It's not enough that God would have many, many precious stones laying around on the ground. He wants these materials built up, fitted and knit together into into a a dwelling place. Uh, Read uh, 1 Peter 2.5a. Go. As living stones. Right. You're not just living stones. You're living stones being built up. And Ephesians 2. Go. Praise the Lord. He's in us, but we're also in Him. It says, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God in spirit. We received Him. He came into us. But we have believed into Him. And we've been baptized into Him. And we've been anointed by Him as the Spirit. We are in Him. So this dwelling place is actually a mutual abode. God dwelling in man and man dwelling in God. It's too marvelous. Uh, Now practically, how can these materials be built up? Well, one, uh, just one aspect that I wanted to emphasize tonight is found in 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, Let's read uh, these two verses together. Go. But he who prophesies speaks building up and encouragement and consolation to men. In a tongue builds up himself. But he who prophesies builds up the church. Well, to prophesy in this context is not to foretell the future. It's not to foretell or predict something in the future. To prophesy here is to speak forth Christ, to speak building up, to speak encouragement, to speak consolation, this builds up the church. You know, the believers in in the New Testament, they just had a habit of coming together day by day, house to house. Even in Hebrews, uh, the book of Hebrews chapter 10, Paul says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, right? And when we assemble together... uh, We should have something to speak to one another. Something of our enjoyment of Christ. Something we saw of the Lord in the Word. We could speak. I think many of you might be in the the Bible reading uh, schedule. This is an excellent way to speak something of Christ in your daily life. You have this Bible reading schedule. I believe today was Matthew chapter 8, right? Did some of you read chapter 8 today? You know, I, I enjoyed chapter 8. Chapter 5, 6, and 7 are the so-called Sermon on the Mount. You know, Jesus was up here on the mount, and he was speaking very high things concerning the kingdom of the heavens. Uh, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. If someone uh, slaps you on the face, you turn and give them the other cheek. If someone takes your coat, give them your tunic also. Uh, Even there's a verse that says, You shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
Sometimes people read those chapters and then they throw away the Bible. I can't do this. It's too high. But this morning when I was reading chapter 8, oh, you know what the verse, verse 1 says? It says, And when he came down from the mountain, he came down from the mountain. He didn't stay up here on the mountain and expect me, a sinner, a fallen human being, to come up to where he is all by myself. That's impossible. He came down, it says. He came down from the mountain. And he began to heal people. He cleansed the lepers. He cast out the demons. Eventually he was there uh, to get us, right? And to take us up to where he is. Oh, I was so encouraged by that. And I'm speaking it to you right now. Are you encouraged? I got encouraged. Well, this is prophesying. To speak encouragement, to speak consolation, to speak building up. And, uh, and we can do that anytime, any day. When we gather together with the other Christians. And this results in the building up of the church. Very practical. Uh, okay, the very last point. It says, where God's house is, there is the gate of heaven. That's what Jacob said, right? He said, this is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And, uh, and here, uh, I just put this one verse. There was just a lot of different angles to consider. But uh, I put this verse here. It says, if therefore the whole church comes together in one place, and all prophesy, and some unbeliever or unlearned person enters, he is convicted by all, he is examined by all, and the secrets of his heart become manifest, and so falling on his face, he will worship God, declaring that indeed God is among you. You know, on the one hand, uh, this place is on earth. The church is here on earth. The house of God is on earth. It's in the believers being built up together. But yet it's joined to the heavens. And although we're here on the earth, we see and we experience the things in the heavens. When we touch the church, when we touch the house of the living God, when we touch the dwelling place of God, which is built up with stone, which is Christ. And I've had that experience just coming together with believers who are enjoying the Lord, who are being built together, they're being transformed, they're enjoying the Lord, they're speaking to one another what they've enjoyed. And you just have the sensation, God is here. God is among you. That's where the real impact is. Right? That's why Jacob said, this is none other than the gate of heaven. Heavenly things are seen here. We see God. We see God's purpose. We see our purpose. What are you doing here at UT? You have a higher purpose, right? I'll tell you what, when I touched the house of the living God, the direction of my life changed. I was headed in one direction, but I touched a ladder that brought me into the heavens, and I saw things in the heavenly realm that God has a need. God has a desire, and his need is fulfilled uh, by me opening to him and gathering with the other believers and being built up together 
uh, into the house of God. Praise the Lord. So, anyways, this message, on the one hand, there's a lot here. Uh, Like I said, it's perhaps the most crucial point in the entire book of Genesis because what's unfolded here continues to be unfolded throughout the rest of the Bible until you come to the very end of Revelation. Uh, So this is a huge topic. But the first point is that God needs a dwelling place, a house. Secondly, the material for God's house is stone. Christ is stone, and if we believe into Christ, we're going to become stones for God's building. But this material, all these stones need to be built up together into one corporate entity called the house of the living God. And we can build up the house of God by speaking Christ to one another, speaking uh, encouragement, consolation, building up. What we've enjoyed of the Lord, what we've experienced of the Lord, what we've seen of the Lord, we speak that to one another and the building up occurs. And then where God's house is, there is the gate of heaven. There is a a heavenly realm. You know, sometimes you don't even have to say a whole lot, but people just come among us and they just sense, this is another place. This uh, This is heaven on earth. In fact, I read one time when Satan uh, touches the church, uh, it's like he touches a foreign invasion in his world system, in his kingdom. When the church is on the earth, you know, the whole world is in the hands of the evil one. But God has a, a foothold on this earth. It's called the house of God. He has a dwelling place here now. And that is a foreign invasion in Satan's kingdom. And it's growing, it's spreading, and uh, eventually the Lord's kingdom is going to fill the whole earth. Amen. Praise the Lord. 